Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Contact Lost, a Polish podcast about competitive Warhammer 40k, both in Poland and abroad. I'm, as usual, your host, Tweek, or Tomek, and you are watching another episode of the Road to the LGT series, um, in which I interview 40k celebrities, 40k officials, hopefully the ones that are going to attend the event. Um, and today, as you've seen in the title already, I want to give you not a quarter, not a half, but the actual full 100% of the 40K Fireside podcast, the wonderful duo of Mr. Vic BJ and Mr. David Gaylard. Welcome, gents. Thanks. Hello. This is uh, bizarre <laughs> to be on this side of this. I, I love this podcast and... Uh... It's awesome to be here. Yeah, thanks for having I'm, me. I'm, I'm so happy to, to hear that. Sorry, David, could you repeat that, please? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, thanks for having us. And I think we've both listened to this podcast for a while. So it's 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 great to be here again, I think, for myself. Vic, have you been on here before? No, I haven't. I just uh, listened to it on the way to work. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. That's so nice to hear. But yeah, as you said, this time you're, um, you know, on the other side because you have your own podcast. I mean, I usually ask about plugs at the very end of the, of the episode, but do you want to start with that, perhaps? Yeah, sure. I'll kick it off. Um, yeah, so recently Vic and I started the 40K Fireside podcast, and it's it's niche or subject area of expertise is really Vic and I's personal experience with the game as we're playing it, uh, the meta in the UK, and a view from kind of, I guess, humbly saying that the kind of top tables and how we're experiencing the game. And we speak very openly about the problems we're having with the game, what we're struggling with, what we're looking forward to and what we're stressing out about. So if that sounds like something you like, just go check it out. It's called the 40K Fireside Podcast. That's fantastic. So that, that's a very good introduction. I guess it, it sort of does the job of what I wanted to ask about anyway. Um, to the people from outside the UK, I would say. So our listeners in Poland, but also listeners in other countries who might not have heard of you because, I don't know, maybe people just follow the World Team Championships and follow team games and so on and you haven't been part of a team in the last world team championship can you give us a brief introduction Vic I'll start with you can you tell us a little bit about your 40k time your previous successes and maybe the armies that you play of course sure so I started playing 40k about six years ago after I finished university I was looking for a hobby and I just happened to actually bump into a couple of Polish guys playing at, at our local gaming club um, and they introduced me directly into the competitive 40k meta. So I know a few token uh, kind of Polish swear words and things which uh, keep me going. Um, and it kind of just grew from there. I've always had a little bit of a competitive side to me. Um, and uh, it kind of really took off when I joined um, the team that I play for. It's called Dice Down. And Dave is part of this team as well. I joined uh, a little bit before him. And... Um, yeah, I played a variety of loads of different armies, and uh, 40k has become one of the, the biggest passions of my life. That's wonderful. And what, which armies are your favorite right now? So I, I started off with Craftworld Eldar and Grey Knights. Those are my two, and they keep coming back to me whenever they, they jump up in power. But I've played Chaos Space Marines, Normal Marines, um, just a huge variety of armies, pretty much anything really. Tau, I spent a bit of time with Tau recently. 
Um, the only armies I don't play, there are some I don't like the aesthetics of, so you can probably rule out Tyranids, Admech, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Orcs. Orcs. So apart from those three, pretty much everything else. Okay, that's, that's actually very interesting, and we'll get a little bit deeper into that in a moment. Uh, David, your turn. Yeah, before, I won't leave Vic uh, escape like that, though. As humble as the man is, Vic is a, is a super major winner, multiple uh, major winner, smashing GTs like it's no tomorrow. And regardless of where Vic is in the rankings, by the way, he's very high. Um, <laughs> everyone in the UK knows that Vic is an extremely top-tier player. So he is definitely someone at the tables where when your, your pairings come up in the round and you think, I've got Vic Vijay, you're like, well, okay, I've got a tough round. So uh, not to be understated, Vic is an extremely good player as well, although he doesn't like to say it about himself. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm David Gaylard. Um, like I said, we host the um, the Fireside Podcast together, and a bit of a contrast in our experience with the game. I have a uh, deep um, kind of run in competitive esports, and I've only actually been playing 40k since more or less the start of Ninth Edition. So this is my second season of playing 40k. And um, given that I have, I think I bring a lot less of the traditional ways of looking at the game. And, and I play with kind of just the, the hardest meta kind of focus on things. So I personally am not, I'm not a, a huge person on, on the fluff and the hobby side of things. I really like looking at the game just from purely from a competitive standpoint. Um, I've won a couple of super majors, um, won some majors. Um, one of the best things I ever had was playing in my first Las Vegas Open where I came fifth overall. Um, and yeah, 40K has become a massive part of my life. And um, I get to share it in a great team, Team Dice Town, who... If we're a little bit lucky, we might take the ranked number one team in the world this year. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just a great time. And, you know, 40K is in such an amazing place right now. So it's it, every, all that leads up to what is going to be hopefully an amazing LGT as well. Which actually wonderfully segues into my next question. So your history at the LGT, because I'm guessing this is not the first one that you're going to. You probably have some, some history at the event. So Vic, how have you been with the LGT? How many times have you attended and you know how did you fare in the event? So this will be my my third LGT. Um, uh, my first one was very much at the start when I started playing and actually somehow I've missed a number of LGTs. I, I, I usually attend most of the big events but I haven't had a very good run in the LGT to be honest. When I first started playing I was playing with Eldar. I just kind of a, a normal kind of 4-1 and then I took white scars when they just come out, and I think I got another 4-1. Um, and then the last LGT I wasn't able to attend, and I kind of gave up 40k during that time because it was at the peak of kind of the orc buggies, uh, the <laughs> mm -hmm. admic flyers, and these, like I mentioned before, these are all armies I don't play. I didn't enjoy the meta at all. My power grows as the game becomes more balanced, uh, I found. The more skewed and first-turn impactful kind of the game is, the, the less I enjoy it and the less good I am, really. Um, so I skipped the last LGT, and I'm glad to be kind of coming back to it now. And we're happy to have you back as well. Uh, David, how about you? Yeah, so this is actually my first LGT. Um, like I said um, previously, I've only played for two seasons. And uh, last season, I didn't get to play uh, the LGT because I was in New Zealand. Um, and But I, I played LVO, which I guess you could equate in some regards. Um, so yeah, going into my second one, I've, I, I had a really good run in LVO, playing Crusher Stampede, and just crushing my way to the top seed at day two. Uh, but... 
man i remember it was it was really it was really stressful especially flying to the united states for, for just a board game um really i had a lot of pressure on myself just to think man if i if i don't win or do very well like is it even worth it like am i wasting my time which um this is yeah there's a lot of thoughts that go through my head but i think this lgt has got whilst whilst the meta has been out for a while i feel like there's just so much up in the air in this one really i think there are a lot of great players playing. There are a lot of good lists. And I don't think there's any clear front runner on the list front necessarily as well. I don't know. What do you think, Rick? Oh, my money's on you, Dave. 100%. Best <laughs> list, oh, best player. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just go away and I'll leave you to the two of you to just run the podcast. <laughs> no, but uh, jokes aside. Um, I actually wanted to ask because one of you has made it into the Invitational. Vic, you you are in the Invitational. Uh, according to the seeding, you are playing uh, Danny Evison. I hope I'm pronouncing that, that correctly. Um, are you ready for the Invitational and then for the main event? Because from what I what I've heard, if you do well in both, you're in for what 14 rounds of 40k in one weekend or in four days. Are you ready to handle that? I mean, it's a huge amount of 40k. And I know uh, you spoke to, to Manny and Innes and they had their thoughts on this. But I think um, being having the stamina to play a huge number of games of 40k is important even in a five-round event, let alone in an event of this kind of length. Um, so I, I have not really done it before. If, if I am successful enough to play that many games, I'm not sure how I'll cope with it, but I'm just going to try and set myself up with the, the kind of little tips and tricks which everyone follows. Make sure you sit down as much as you can. Make sure you're drinking loads of water, regular toilet breaks. And in a way, my army selection is a little bit influenced by that. I've got a huge number of practice games with the army that I'm taking, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a bit. Um, and it's also an army that it can be played fairly quickly. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to get a bit of time between rounds to, to recover. But we'll see that I could be absolutely shattered by by her halfway point. Hopefully not, but still. Um, a question out of sheer curiosity, because um, you've mentioned that you are part of a of a bigger team together with David. And this is something that is not very common in Poland, for example. We don't really do teams very much. You know, we are more individual players and we do team up for team events. However, those teams are usually random. Uh, and, and people just, you know, find whoever is available. Do you benefit from having a team, for example, while preparing for an event like that? I mean, do, are you getting any sort of like team support? Do people, I don't know, maybe play test games with you? Or do, do you think they will support you during the event by, I don't know, bringing you a wet towel or <laughs> something to drink? I'll take this one. Um, having a team is one of the most influential parts of becoming an, an, a great player in 40k. Um, I was, I remember I, I won my first GT, the first, I think it was the second event I played. Uh, this is when Admic was really powerful as well. And I think I was on the trajectory of becoming like a good competitive player, but I wouldn't, but I, w I don't think I ever would have learned the tournament circuit and the, the, all the nuances that happen at the high level player if I didn't have access to a great team. So it teaches you being in a great team teaches you how to how to play 40k outside of the game in and of itself in terms of how to prepare for tournaments, how to think about your list, to get feedback on your list and et cetera. 
And then what it also does is it provides an, an atmosphere where you can talk uh, in confidence about things that you're struggling with throughout right. the game. Maybe you're struggling about, hey, I, I really don't understand this, guys. Like maybe, hey, maybe I'm thinking about taking this. And then someone goes, nah, come on, man, you're tripping. Like just, just go like this. Hmm. You'll, you'll be good at this or something, you know? So it provides that sounding board and feedback. And then it provides what is the, the most powerful resources is it provides high quality practice games. And um, for the people that don't know, Vic and I, are pro Vic is my main practice partner. Uh, and I'm, I'm probably Vic's main practice partner when it comes to the games that really matter. Um, and so together we get to play very high top end games. And we actually sit and analyze, it doesn't matter how long the game was. Uh, we were playing Votan versus something else uh, the other night. And, you know, even though the game only went three turns or something like that, we sat and chatted about it for like 15, 20 minutes afterwards, and we constantly analyzing. And so having that um, closer relationship with another 40K player who's at your level and has similar interests is, is really important. And to get people who are of similar interests, and by interests, I mean people that have the desire to be as competitive as you do or want to take the game as seriously as you do, or maybe want to take hobbying as seriously as you do, you know, not restricted to just competitiveness that is very rare to find and when you do find it you really go recognize and and try and get it to prosper i think it's very much in line with what Innes said in in the episode that we did with him and here a tiny plug if you haven't listened to the pre previous episode please go and listen uh in this money uh they're all great fun our referees from poland as well so uh do give us a listen and to another episode if this is your first one um but what Ines said was uh if you go to the event if it's possible take a mate with you take someone to throw ideas against or something like that it, it, it sounds very down to earth or very or, or even very uncommon for a single event but yet this came this is you, you are like another pro player who is suggesting something like that. Vic, would you sign your name under this as well? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think our team, we don't necessarily have, we have, a, it's a team of 10 people. We don't necessarily have all of us at the same level of competitive play. And we don't have all of us putting the same amount of effort in at all times. Like I went out of 40K a little bit when I didn't like the meta. And there are other players like Malik in our team who's extremely accomplished, but he's dipped out of the, the game a little bit at the moment. Um, but it's just an echo chamber of positive energy and thoughts. And if you have a little question, just put it in there, a little discussion. It's kind of nice. You have something to get behind. And I think it's made a, a huge impact in the way I see competitive 40K. And like Dave said, it does give you access to quality practice games that push you to a, a higher level, like the, the, the top level. You can't, I, I personally feel you can't reach that without having people to learn from around you. And a team like the team we have is, is very good for it. The point that you made about maybe helping each other at tournaments, that's a really interesting one. You know, like how you have a um, a coach, or is it a coach at uh, yeah, WPC? Yeah, yeah? Mm -hmm. kind of like that. I was just, I just think, thinking in my head, I can imagine, you know, Dave smashing everyone, getting through to that final day, me there, like getting the <laughs> towel for him, passing him some water. <laughs> I could see that happening. I'd, I'd be I'd be in for that, Dave. <laughs> it does not. Well, you know, uh, not from a coaching perspective, but... Famously, guys, like I think last year when I was playing Ed Mickelot or Crusher Stampede, I would finish my games in like 40 minutes, you know, and um, I would always come around to everyone. Like the first thing I would do whenever my game is finished or my opponent is taking their turn to move up, like, oh, I'm going to move, I'm going to check my friends again. I would know where each of my teammates is playing and I would give them a hug. I would say like, how you doing? Like, good, like, 
if it's a tight game, I, I tell them like, hey, you know, stick in it, stick in it. And if anyone's listening that isn't in our team that I've done that to in real life as well, you, you know what I mean? Because I always try and encourage people to bring that positivity, be like, come on, let's go, baby. Like try and take the wins um, and, you know, just really stick in it, grind it out, like give my teammates the support when it's possible as well. Because it's, it's not only great to succeed yourself, but it's even better to see your teammates succeed and like be champions around them as well, which is the best part about being in a, in a great team as well, yeah. Sounds very uplifting, I would say, and, and a great piece of advice to anyone who is going to any event, as a matter of fact, not just LGP, but I, I, I think just any event, trying to get, you know, people around you, friends, uh, teammates, uh, whoever that might be, sounds like an awesome idea and, and, and someone who give, would give you a lot of support. So I need to ask this question. I think it's the right time to do it now. Um, I asked this uh, question to Manny. Uh, I, I did the same with Ines. You know, people who, who listen to this podcast or, or any other podcast, as a matter of fact, might think, hmm, do I stand a chance against these guys? Like, you know, people would like to know how much effort, time and practice do you put into your preparation for events like this one? So if I were to ask you, you know, how many games, let's say a week do you play? Um, where are we? Oh, sorry, where are we in terms of numbers? Dick, what, what, what would you say? Uh, so I think it's it's a weird one. It's, I think the number is going to be a lot less than most people expect. There there was a point when I first started playing 40k where I play a, quite a high volume of games. You know, four four games in a week at times, which which for me feels really a lot. Um, but now it's probably closer to one at most two, and some weeks I'll go without playing a game. Um, I I found that. A lot more of my time is spent in my own thoughts, thinking about you know certain scenarios, certain matchups, and a big part of what's changed the way I practice is the access to tabletop simulator. I do get my practice games in with Dave, but uh, a lot of my time preparing for events. Sometimes I'll find an hour of free time where I'll just open up tabletop simulator and just do a turn by myself, playing against another army I know well, uh, with an army that I'm taking to an event, and those little moments where I deploy my army, make the first turn of movements, you can really um, adjust the very small details where, let's say, oh, actually, on this particular terrain map, if I set up this unit two inches further to the side, my opponent can't actually get line of sight if they have a 12-inch move unit. Those little kind of bits of theory I found much more important to me now than, than playing an entire practice game. Uh, but that may just be a factor of the stage of development I am in my 40k career. And I'm not sure if, if maybe, maybe it's very different for Dave, actually. I'd be interested to hear what he says. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I probably played 100 and I think infamously, I think I played 170 games of Admech in the, in the last season. And uh, I have a very different play style to, well, I have a very different training kind of style to Vic in a lot mm -hmm. of ways because I'm, known as uh, especially someone on our team as someone who plays 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 and really i i um really value the repetition and i also value mastery in an army over potentially swapping armies now i've been admittedly very lucky in having turn as an admin uh, so i haven't really needed to swap but there's always been armies that are potentially stronger in necrons or something like that um but i think one one thing that i realized about the game is that one oh man it's a couple of good things there 
Uh, first and foremost, once you reach a certain level in 40K, I think that if you continue to practice with quality people, you can maintain that level of play. Now, you do need to practice when things change. You do need to be on top of it and practice and, and learn what happens about that. But that doesn't necessarily involve going and slinging dice, right? You might just, as Vic said, load something up on Tabletop Simulator, just play some turns as the opposing army. And this is something that I've actually been working on a lot. I famously kind of never played any other army apart from my own. And the joke in my team would always be like, yeah, Dave will beat me, but he only knows like fucking 10% of my rules or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, and a quote from Vic, actually. And then, um, and which is kind of true. And I actually struggled a lot with understanding my opponent's armies because I, and, and I just had to roughly group people's units into certain things. Like I know that these things have to line up. Okay, this is kind of like in my head, like these are these types of units, blah, blah, blah. Um, but actually, and, and what I realized is that actually my practice, I actually need to play other people's armies. And that's where I've gotten the most amount of benefit recently. And I'll probably say the last two months um, is actually just playing other armies and learning how they work, learning their secondaries and what their types of flows are and whatnot like that. Um, and because I'm already good enough at playing my own army as, as I see it. So I really just need to demystify other armies. So that's been a big part of it for me. But in terms of back to your main point, a number of games per week. I also practice mm -hmm. by myself in Tabletop Simulator. Uh, just like I said, um, myself versus other armies. And that's where you learn so much of your deployment mistakes, for example. And deployment is a huge thing that impacts the entire game. So that's something you want to get right. And when, when Vic says something like, you can deploy something two inches this way or that way, that makes, believe it or not, it does make a huge difference during, throughout the whole game. And that's where a top player will definitely take advantage of people that um, make tiny errors like that. Um, but yeah, so in terms of that, I, I practice like that. Then I also practice, I mean, probably one, 1. 1.5 games a week on average, maybe two. If it's leading up to a very large tournament, I get a lot more motivated to play. And when the tournament, if there's a tournament like a month out, I probably won't be playing, you know, two weeks. Mm -hmm. A month out from the tournament, I probably won't be playing many games, if any at all, per week. And I just get more motivated as the tournament goes. And I'll, and I'll start looking for games and stuff like that more often. But it's not as it's not as high. The general takeaway point, I think, is it's not as high as a lot of people think. And it's more about quality over quantity in a lot of ways. Understood. So, yeah, a comment about uh, Tabletop Simulator, if anyone is still using it. I guess it is really valuable. I mean, we have two of the top UKTC players here uh, asserting to it. But still, uh, the maps for tournaments are usually known in advance. The terrain layouts are usually known in advance. You can mimic all that in Tabletop Simulator and just get uh, some practice. I know that the Polish players do the same with the WTC maps, which also can be downloaded from the Steam Workshop and so on. Everything is available. Just take a bit of time, sit down, download, set it up, and check for yourself that it can be an amazing tool that helps you practice. Um, and I also wanted to ask, while we are still discussing preparation for tournaments, uh, do you usually um, play and test against the armies considered top ones, or you don't limit yourself to only those and you play also some some of the niche armies, like, I don't know, GSC, which now, thanks to Eric Lathoris and Innes, are probably not as niche as they used to be. But, I don't know, also, um, I don't know, Imperial Guard, maybe, or something like that. So, Vic, uh, happy to hear your answer on that. Um, I think uh, both of us, I don't know, I was kind of speaking for you here, Dave. I think both <laughs> of us could do with maybe playing against some of the less popular armies. GSC is a big example. 
as it stands, I have had zero practice games into GSC. And I'm not expecting to be able to get one. And I'm not expecting to be able to process and understand the army uh, in such a way that I can give myself a game. We do have one player in our team who plays GSC very well, Malik. Um, and I think because they're all based in London, Dave's going to do a practice weekend with them and they're going to get lots of games in. So I think it's very hit or miss whether or not we manage to play against every single army that we expect. And I think the way that we tend to target our practice on online or between us uh, tends to be playing against the very top meta armies rather mm -hmm. than the niche armies. Right, uh, but, but, uh, David, before before you, you go into your answer, I just wanted to give context to that question because when the Polish national team was preparing for the WTC uh, uh, or even after the tournament, they said, yeah, we spent the, the majority of time uh, you know, getting the reps against most common builds, most common armies, most common lists. Just and and for example, Australian lists came as a big surprise because the Polish national team didn't invest the time to play niche lists and niche builds. So, yeah, that that's the context for the question. I'm happy to hear your answer, David. Yeah, um, I, I, it's a waste of time uh, because time right. is ultimately your resource that you've got um, access to, and Absolutely. it's very really limited. And so. Mm -hmm. This is a classic example, and Ines, if you're listening to this, I'll, I'll use you in a, as an example. I'm, we're all going to go play LGT. Ines's list is, I've never played against it before, but I've heard things that it's quite powerful and has quite a good output and stuff like that. But I'm not, if, if I can't get a gaming in GSC, I'm luckily that I will because I'm playing at old, at old team boot camp on the weekend where <laughs> I can play Malik. But, but if I didn't have access to that, I wouldn't play test against it. Because on average, the chance that I actually hit Ines playing that list in LGT is extremely low. So when I, I'm I'm kind of cold and logical. So if I look at it from a mathematical perspective, it's just such a low chance to happen. And if it does happen, then it's all right. But on average, I'll get better higher quality of games and it'll have a larger impact on my tournament if I just practice against the highest meta lists. And you know, it's 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 a fact of the matter about the game is that if you're playing a top meta list, you will be able to play against other armies that you haven't recently played against by pure fact that your army is very strong. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Okay, so talking about the armies, I think it's time to go into uh, the, the nitty-gritty of it, so the lists that you are bringing. And again, I'll start, start with Vic just to, you know, have you speaking interchangeably. Uh, so Vic, um, first question, are you bringing the same to the same list to the Invitational and the main event? And I'm only asking because I haven't seen the list yet. I haven't had the time to actually track that. So uh, are you bringing a list, the same list to, the, to both events, or uh, are they going to differ a little bit? I'm I'm bringing almost identical lists. They're same faction and everything. There is a single relic warlord trait difference between the main event and the invitational. Um, so, uh, do you want me to go through my my army, Tomic? Oh yeah, abso time? absolutely. I think it's the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, my army is the coolest and best army in the entire game. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Emperor's Children, uh, a Chaos Space Marine subfaction, the Slanesh one. And uh, I've got it made up into a battalion and a Supreme Command. Supreme Command has Abaddon in it. In my invitational list, Abaddon does not have his Warlord traits. In my main event list, he does have his Warlord traits. 
And then I have a battalion with uh, three HQs, a Demon Prince, a Dark Apostle, and a Master of Possession. In the Invitational, my Dark Apostle has the Relic Pistol, the Warp's Malice, uh, who is going to take some, take some heads during that Invitational. And then I've got five units of Noise Marines with a Blastmaster, Power Fist, and Chainswords and the rest of the guys. I've got a big unit of 10 Terminators with... Uh, Two chain fists, three power fists, and combi bolters on everyone. Two venom crawlers and ten cultists, and that is my overpowered Emperor's Children army. And I am being sarcastic. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've heard people say that the lists that you are bringing are underdogs. I guess they are not in your hands, but why would anyone consider them underdogs? Actually, uh, I, I mean, even I think they're underdogs at the start of every game, and then. <laughs> By the by, the end of every game, I'm like, oh, you know what? That actually, that was actually pretty good. Um, I and you pat yourself on the back. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, but then I've got to keep saying it because it feels better every time. Um, so I think it's one of those armies that looks deceptively weak on paper, um, but it comes with all of the tools to play um, against anything. And you, it, it's hard to understand the synergy between all the pieces until you put it on the board. I think a big part of it is there's a very big difference between playing um, playing consistently the right moves with an army like this versus making micro mistakes over and over again. And it's it's quite a compound. The errors compound the, the weaknesses of the army. So I think once you get it right and get all your approach moves, very it's a very slow army. Everything's moving six inches pretty much. Um, if you get the methodical movements of the army together, it actually works really nicely. I've played a few games against Dave as well, so he can probably attest to a little bit of that. It's a very good army. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what play, play style does this army encourage? I mean, is it more you know, play to the mission, do, do capture objectives, do secondaries, or is it aggressively you know, remove your opponent from the table? Um, and does that much your favorite play, play style, um, So, play style is an interesting one because um, I think I've uh, have always been someone who um, has not really stuck to a single characteristic play style. Like I'm not, you can't say I'm like Manny or Anthony Vanella and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm an aggressive player, I'm, I'm not. But at the same time, I'm not like a Nick Nanavati hide in my deployment zone kind of player. I, I can play one game completely passive, one game completely aggressive. And I think the armies which have really suited me is ones where I can just switch depending on the situation. So there's moments when this army needs to be patient and there's moments when this army just needs to go. There are games where this army just needs to go. For example, against Necron, just need to go. And there are games against, say, uh, Tau, where just wait a turn, you know, let them expose themselves. Um, so I think armies like this, um, which have a combination of shooting, psychic, mm -hmm. combat, combat tricks, movement tricks, those kinds of armies really favor a very balanced, versatile play style. And, oh, that sounds, uh, sounds like I'm showing off, but yeah, quite versatile. <laughs> oh, no, <God>. no, actually, <laughs> actually, no, actually what, what, what you're saying, if I can paraphrase it, is basically you're bringing a very toolboxy army, uh, that, you know, should have an answer to, to everything. Question is, um, is there anything that you don't have a tool for? Is there anything that Vic DJ is afraid of right now in the meta? Um, 
I think the main thing I'm scared about is opponent player skill. Because mm. I know my army is not the strongest. Like, flat out on a straight up fight against a number of the meta armies, I think I'm not even in the top five. But I have a, a chance to express player skill with this list. And if that's taken away from me, that's when things get dicey. So it almost doesn't matter what the army is. I'm more worried about the player I'm playing against. Okay, understood. David, um, in their description of the two of you on uh, Facebook, uh, I think uh, Zach and his team wrote that you've been refining your list over and over, and this is, you know, the final form. Um, so um, are you actually happy with the list right now? First of all, what is it? What are you bringing? And then are you happy with it? And same questions as to bit like is there anything that you are currently you know afraid of mm, yeah um yeah so i'm playing uh the list for tournaments really uh which i'll be playing for a long time now it's just um hopefully the Viasman with plus one to charge on the adaptive trait no i didn't make any decision or doubling up to think about any decision on the plus one to charge swapping it out for anything so i still think that's by far the best mm -hmm. i've got two neurothropes one has the five model opsec and the other one has my backfield casting powers like Catalyst Onslaught. Uh, and then I've got a Hive Tyrant with uh, the Wing Tyrant with Reaper of Obliterax. And the other Neurothrope has Direct Guidance for um, plus one hit. Troops, I've got one by, one by four. So one lot of four warriors. Uh, and then I've got two lots of nine warriors. One with three cannons. One with two cannons. The three cannon also has Flesh Hook as well. They both have adrenal bands. There's some small nuances there, but it's too much to get into really. Uh, then I've got... Two units of three Venom Throats, two, one unit of three Zone Throats, one unit of three Tyrant Guard, and then I've got one Harpy with Stranglethorn Cannons and Synapse, and then one Harpy with Heavy Venom Cannons. So there are some points constraints I've been working with to try and fit and change things around, but that's the list that I've landed on today. And I think that um, I made the right choice in the end. And some context, some background context to this is that uh, the week before submission, I was playing a lot on my own. I was probably playing, okay, well, this goes contrary to what I was saying before, but I was probably like three hours a day maybe before list submission on that week because I felt like the meta was getting very heavy on the Achilles side, a lot of shooting, and I was worried about the um, footprint that my army was having with two harpies. So I was trying to go deep into solutions uh, on how to beat Necrons and also perform well against some of the other top armies like Knights uh, and Harlequins. And I ended up playing a practice game against Vic. <laughs> this is a story, right? I played a practice game against Vic on, was it Friday night we played? Yep. Friday. So this is two night, This is two days before the submission, guys. And I was playing like Tyrannocyte, Drop Pod, Pyrovores. I was playing a, wing, a walking hive tyrant with Shard Gullet. And so this was quite a bit different from what I normally played, and I lost that game. And I knew that what I what I what I was playing that game was not that great against um, two up save and cover armor of contempt, big terminated brick row. That's fine. But what it made me realize is that throughout that game, I realized I was learning too much during the game. And what this signaled to me, and should it signal to you if you're doing this as well, is that if you're learning in the game, then you've got a long way to go. Like you need to play like. 10 games at least before you should be taking this to a tournament if you're still learning so i was like after the game i was like man you know 
my my walk around i put them down there just like didn't work out well my pod like i was really unsure about the pod and everything like that and um what i ended up doing was thinking about this over the whole weekend and thought you know what i'm just going to stick with what i've been really good at and i know that i'll have consistent results if i play what is good then how can i make some small list tweaks to shore up some of those matchups that i've been practicing in that week so i still had a lot of learnings so i've been practicing a lot against uh, necrons and i really i i I understood a couple of key parts of their list and what if I were to tackle that list, where where exactly I need to hit it. So I learned a lot, um, like destroys, for example, or one big thing. And you might think, oh, it's so obvious to destroys, right? But when you consider all the options that I've taken, there are some very um, still, um, like magic bullet um, answers for destroys that I've got, like one harpy with heavy venom cannons, mm-hmm. which I've never played after the point increases, by the way. I've always played strangles, even... Yeah, I remember the- we discussed it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was like, okay, I'm going to tick for that. But then, you know, the synaptic upgrade puts you at power level 10 instead of nine. So what happens when you outflank a harpy, which are you going to have the heavy venom cannons on, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of little nuanced things like that. And I was able to make that decision so easily because I played the list, you know, that basic list probably, you know, one leads with it, the super major. I played those 40, 40 times probably with that combination of units. And so after that, you know, I just felt so much better um, I felt a lot more confident because I'm going to go and do my thing. When someone sees me at the table, they're going to be like, all right, it's David doing his thing. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to just do me, you know, it's been working well. And um, yeah, it's interesting because you can always have like, before you submit your list for a tournament, you can always have those thoughts around like, is this the right thing? You know, I just lost a couple of games, um, you know, whoa, you know, ups and downs and, and um, backtracking and stuff like that. But experience speaks the most volumes, I think, when... Because playing playing in a tournament is different from playing online or playing in practice games. That's for sure. When I when I practice, unless it's like for a boot camp or unless it's right before a tournament, I will play very loose. Like I will just try and explore the game. But in a tournament, it's a lot different. When you're playing in it and it means something, it's a lot different. So having the having the experience of knowing what you're playing with in the times where you really need to play well is worth its weight in gold, I find, rather than a list that might be five percent better but you might be a little bit unsure about things because ultimately you're probably going to make a mistake. Mm. Sorry, we're on a bit of a tangent on that one. No, no, that was great. But but again, it's I just wanted to say that it's 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 in line with what I've heard from other top players. Uh, recently, I, I, I finished listening to um, the Vanguard Tactics podcast and, uh, yeah, Stephen Box talking about his road to the LGP. Um, and he also explained like his choice of, of, of army because he could have gone with pretty much anything but he, he decided to pick blood angels and this is mainly because he just has i mean you know he he wants to take like a high place in the ranking with them as well but among other reasons one of the main reasons is that he just wants to bring the army that he has the most reps with and it sounds like sort of like a natural choice uh, among uh, competitive players out there so yes. uh, have you pitted your armies against yourselves so i I assume yes because you're your main uh uh, you know sparring partners but what's like a score if i may that's the game we did just before list submission i was using this emperor's children list but that's the only test game we've done of emperor's children versus nids i'm i'm guessing that's what you're asking tomic right Mm mm-hmm yeah, and oh, the Empress children did some work. <laughs> that's good to yeah, hear. 
yeah, yeah. Like I said, I was playing the I was playing the suboptimal um, list and and what like that, where I was I was making a lot of play errors. Excuses. Like excuses. <laughs> what? Yeah, I played that, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the th the thing is also like here's, this is just a classic example, right? Is that like let's say Vic and I practice a lot, right? And I'm playing tournaments, and Vic is beating me all the time, right? This is very hypothetical, right? No, it doesn't <laughs> um, happen like that, guys. Um, you know, and and I'm and I'm sitting here thinking, what am I going to submit? It's important. It's very important to look at the bigger picture as well. And I think this is kind of the responsibility of the of your practice partner as well, is to say, look, like, don't tailor towards beating my army because, like, who who else is going to be playing Empress Children at LGT? Like, no one, right? And and if if there are, they're not going to be Vic Vijay, right? So hopefully I'll be able to beat them. Um, and it's really important to keep your eye on the bigger picture and really have 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 trust and confidence in your decisions for your list and why you make them make them work. Now, teams can be um, a little bit of a bad thing as well because they are an echo chamber in some sense. And usually yes. you're you're the resident expert in your faction and a team. Um, I think Malik and I were the only time is probably the only time where we overlapped in playing the same army, which was great because we could talk about this all the time. But at the same time, you've got to be able to filter out um, people's opinions on like what is right and what's wrong to do for your army, and you have to you have to um, put it on your put on your heart and say this is the right decision for that. So it's that's the kind of one thing that you have to balance out, and you can't just say oh I'm losing to this all the time, therefore X. You have to say what is the most likely things to happen in the meta? What am I going to play around four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then tailor your list towards beating those armies? That's the that's what you need to do at the end of the day, regardless of whether or not you've won your last four games or you lost your last five games. You need to make decisions that encompass range of armies that's larger than what you've just practiced against. My dear listeners, some specialists take money for this. Here, you're getting all that advice for free. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, lads. Um, so, okay, so we know your list, we know uh, how you practice. Uh, I think I'll drop the topic of lists and, and games for now because I actually uh, have planned for uh, like a main topic of the, of the episode, um, which is, and I already mentioned this to you, I hope you, you, you've managed to find some time uh, uh, to, to prepare your answers to this, but, you know, you are two of the, top players in the UK DC. Um, so I understand that you go into events with certain expectations towards yourself, towards your score, um, and probably other players who see your names on the list of participants, they also come with a certain expectation, peers, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted the theme of this episode to be how you as pro players deal with all the pressure that you actually managed to touch upon already. Uh, Vic, when, when you were saying um, at the beginning, you were talking about going into the event and you were talking about your, your history at events, you, you used those phrases that I, that I caught like, oh, you know, I went and I did my normal four to one or your normal four to, four to one or something like this. Uh, then Dave, you said something along the lines of, uh, you know, what am I doing at this tournament? I'm wasting my time, uh, my time, lots of thoughts going through my head and so on and so on. So you do experience pressure. I, I did feel that when you were talking even about your history at events. So how do pro players handle pressure? How do you fight it? Vic, I'll start with you. 
Actually, you know, I'm going to pass it over to Dave first because I, I have a feeling Dave's going to be very insightful on this. And my answer <laughs> might be a little bit different to to the normal answer you might get on this as well. All right. Yeah. Let's do it like yeah. that. Yeah. So, so Vic and I actually have, uh, Vic and I are really good friends and um, we have probably quite different opinions on this. And I kind of alluded to this when I introduced us um, and that I've come from a, it feels like a bit of a different generation. Um uh, people have only played the game sort of since ninth edition have, and have played other many competitive games um, and I've played competitive games on sponsored teams and, and more like that, esports and whatnot um, at, at very high echelons and transitioning those that those mindsets of thinking into 40k is kind of a foreign concept I think in the, in the community for better or for worse but to the to the main point of, of dealing with stress is that and do you do feel stress uh, man, a lot of stress yeah like no joke man like I think, man, I mean, I remember the first time. So um, I played, I, my first Super Major I won was, um, was when I beat Vic for the cut to the top four in Birmingham. And, and I, I managed to win Birmingham. And the, st the stress of playing in tournaments after that decreased significantly for me because I reached a major accomplishment in what I wanted to achieve in 40K. Mm -hmm. But the game, the game for me turned more into uh, a job rather than, um something that i just go play to enjoy and right. i'll be i'll be fully honest this year i've been trying to win the itc rank one and that's a goal that i set myself after doing well early i said look i'm gonna make every effort to try and win itc rank one and for me the the game has become a lot less fun a lot less fun and a lot more stressful um stress not only to perform well stress on myself stress around wondering what people will think of me if i lose stress around if I'm still good enough to compete, stress around if people are gonna write things about me on the internet, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things, small or large, um, for better or for worse, do like certainly do affect me because at the end of the day, I'm I'm just a human being. And <laughs> I think a lot of people, if they haven't met me in real life, they go, you know, oh, pro this, he's pro that, he should know how to do this, he should know how to do that, mm. he shouldn't be making mistakes. But I mean, at the end of the day, look, I got, mate, my work at the moment is so busy, man. And that impacts my ability to play and compete in, in 40K. There's a lot of stuff going around in life, you know? And it's, it's, it's great to not be one dimensional and only have 40K in your life. And I think that's extremely important because that's one of the ways that you can reduce the stress that 40K can bring. Um, and if 40k doesn't bring you stress, then, you know, in a lot of ways, I envy you. Um, but I'm built a little bit differently in that I, I really enjoy competing. And that's a bit of a double-edged blade because whilst competing and winning is some of the some of the heights of emotions you can experience, at the same time, it's um, it brings a lot of um, discontent and uh, it's a bit torturous in some ways, right? So... Um, Mm, yeah. So uh, I, I just wanted to say I, I really appreciate the the honesty and the openness about this because again this is probably not something that you hear very often from a from a top player as you said like with celebrities out there in the sun or any other uh, tabloid you tend to judge them and it comes pretty easily because well that's how we cope with reality and probably the same applies to 40k players in a way um, but would you say that at some point you are your own worst enemy in that you really set up the, the bar very high for yourself. Yeah, like yeah, which is another just double-edged sword, isn't it, really? Because you set the bar high and you and you aim to achieve it. And I think a lot of people, if they listen to this podcast and have met me and talked talk to me, 
um, random people at events, I will always tell them like, how are you doing? Like, what are your goals? Like, come on. And I'll, and I'll catch them up in the next game. Like, did you win that game? Like, how did you go? Like, if you lost, like, come on, let's stay in it. Let's grind and be better. Um, and that's the trying to, that's the kind of things. Those are the things that I tell myself as well. Right. I mean, like, for example, I, I played an invitationally uncomfortable and I lost, I lost round one. And I just, I just, that was the first time in a long time. I really actually thought like, you know, I lost, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up on it because I, I obviously take it very, uh, very seriously when I lose. And I'm a very serious player as well. I, I mean, of course, that's still fun, but um, that was the first time where I just said, you know what, David, like, it's, it's okay to lose. Like, you're not going to be able to win every single game. Dealing with losing has been uh, an important thing. Uh, it was, I mean, it's an important thing in life because you're always going to lose. You're always going to fail. And funnily enough, my mentality and my professional job is you're always going to fail, keep failing, failing forward, never expect to get anything right the first time you do it. Uh, but in 40K, it's just a little bit different than now. But I mean, I think stress is, you know, that's where coming, having a team is a big, big part of that too. Um, and my team will have, you know, um, <laughs> read my rants on our uh, team chats or something like that. Mm. You know, the, the, the team network and support is really good as well, you know, and like my girlfriend, my, my fiance will never hear this, but Trust me, if you want to get to this level, you need to have someone in your corner. And Vic's got his wife, and I know she's extremely supportive as well. And having someone in your corner is the biggest asset that you'll ever have in life too. Someone who will support you, be you know, catch you when you're down. That's the biggest um, reason that I haven't crumbled in a lot of ways um, under, under through some things that I've been through this year as well. And that's just been the rock that I've been able to rely on alongside my team, but more so my, uh, my fiance who's just supported me in whatever I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, if, if you haven't got a fiance or a girlfriend, go, go and get one. <laughs> go get, get one. <laughs> well, that's my little spiel. Yeah, hopefully there's some advice in there maybe. That's wonderful, thank you. Uh, Vic, your turn. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can follow that. That was super insightful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> was. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, it's, a, it's I, I, what Dave has described is a point that I've definitely felt as well. When I when I first started playing 40k competitively, um, I had it in my head that, you know, I have to win. Uh, the The point isn't the game. I have to win. I have to win the game. Of course. Uh, why Why else play competitively unless you mm -hmm. want to win? But the amount of pressure you put on yourself to do that is is huge because it's fundamentally a luck game with so many variables, and it's impossible not to make an optimal move on every single game. Every single game. So the turning point for me came a few years ago, where suddenly I decided to get my priorities right. My priority wouldn't be about winning the game. My priority would be about competency of the game, of enjoying the game. And I started going deep into the lore behind the game, the fluff, the models, and optimizing the way I play the game regardless of the outcome. And I think the kind of player that I am now is uh, because of that. And I think it, even in high importance games, I'm still quite calm because at the end of the day, I just keep reminding myself, it doesn't matter if I lose this game. I just have to try and not make any mistakes during this game. And the outcome is the outcome, be it because of dice, dice or my opponent having a better army or my opponent playing better than me as well. And um, because of that, there's some pros and cons. The pros is I enjoy every single tournament I go to. The con is that I no longer have a cutting edge. 
And I think a lot of the very best, most successful players have that cutting edge where they're determined to win the game, win the tournament. And that kind of cutting edge pushes a lot of people to win the big events because they push through at the end. They never give up. Um, so I see a lot of that in Dave. And I think we're kind of learning a lot from each other because I could yeah, take compliment a bit of my, each other. Mm. I could take a bit of cutting edge from Dave and maybe Dave could take a little bit of my calmness and take some pressure off himself as well. And I see both of us gaining gaining from each other uh, as time goes on. Yes, it's, it's incredibly interesting to listen about you know, pro, pro players' philosophies when going into games and into tournaments. And again, I'll, I'll just recall uh, Stephen Box again, who said that in his podcast that you know he his aim at a tournament is to like make a friend at any tournament, uh, which again is is admirable and not something that you that you expect from. Uh, you know, a competitive player going into an event because usually you would just think, I want to win my, win my five games, I want to do five five zero or something like that. And yet you hear all those different philosophies and you start wondering, hmm, maybe I should have one as well. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I think, uh, I, honestly, I think having a philosophy of how you approach the game is really good. And I think one day I'll probably get there. But what I think you've heard, if you've just listened to myself and Vic talk is, someone who's played the game for or had a relationship with the game, I think is probably more accurate for two seasons and then someone who's had it for six. You know, you you definitely evolve as a person at your relationship with the game for better or for worse uh, through what you've been through as well. And, and I think, yeah, it's um it's definitely a, it's a really interesting one. It's something that I've been I've been trying to work on a lot this year, particularly over the last couple of months. I've been really trying to evaluate um, my, my stance on the game as well. I think it's really amazing just how deep and important this hobby is for us. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it means a lot to us, and we put a lot of our energy and time, and um, and we get so much enjoyment out of it. It's a big thing. It's uh, you only see it once you put this kind of stuff into words. Yeah, it's it's very multifaceted and you know actually quite complex, but also very difficult to understand for anyone who is not in it. Like you know, you said your your fiance, your wife support you. My wife has no idea of what attracts me to this hobby. So <laughs> I guess it depends on the partner that you choose. But listen, I have one more question. Um, and this is still related to 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 the topic of um, of, of dealing with pressure and so on. Um, because there is pressure before the event. There is also some sort of pressure that people put on themselves after the event. And here I could bring up the story of Typhus, the, the captain of the Polish national team at the, the World Team Championship, who, with whom we've, I, I've also done a, an interview. And he said that the, especially the last game at the WTC that, that our team played against Australia, he said that after coming back home, I mean, on the, on, on the plane home, on, I don't know, the bus home, at home, he's been beating himself up because of that game, like, you know, analyzing and overanalyzing what should I have done better? What could have gone differently? You know, uh, should I have placed these units over there or more to the right or more to the left? And probably deeper thought than that. But do you do that too? Do you tend to analyze or over overanalyze your games? Um, and then, I don't know, do you share your lessons learned with your team? Or uh, what is the process post-event, especially in those events where, you know, you don't reach the first spot? Uh, they, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll crack it off on this one too. Um, actually, a, a bit of an analogy on this one is that 
is that we played the team event, uh, the international team event held by the UKTC circuit. Uh, and Dice Down had a team there, and we unluckily got paired into Team England. And admittedly, the guys at the time, it was Dice Down and Team England who were probably going to, you know, we had the strongest players on both teams. Uh, and we ended up losing, uh, missing a draw by one victory point on the, on the, on the game. That's and um, yeah, and I was captaining the the team at that time, um, our team. And yeah, man, I mean, a lot of thoughts running through my head around, you know, what could have done, you know, who could have performed better, what we could have done differently. And you know, I think at the end of the day, there is. And, and that's a good intersection. Well, that's a good example of an intersection between your relationships with people that you play 40K with and, and the tournament scene as well. And the, the take-home point is, is there's nothing more important than still being friends with your teammates and still being friends with everyone above the board. That's the most important thing above all, above winning a tournament um, is, being a, is being a good person. And, there, and you know, I... I admittedly at the time probably didn't act like a very good person because i was uh you know i was deep in my own thoughts and when i when i get angry i tend to go very quiet so um i was i was very quiet after that for a, for a long time and um and yeah just, that wasn't the way to act so that that's one way of internalizing and that's kind of what you don't want to do what you want to do is um just like open up to your teammates and and ask like ah oh, you know what can we do and stuff like that and and i think there's 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 lots of games that I've analyzed. I think there's still one game that I analyze all the time, which is me versus Alex McDougall and the L and the LVO top eight. And I, oh man, I put my diamond here on too far forward. Like I, I should have bait. I should should have been one and a half inches back so that if his tomb against average to five advance, he would have only got two ranks, and then he would have had to really decide to commit. And oh, so many different things. But, um, and you know, getting just, flashbacks right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was such a good game though. Um, yeah, but there's just you, you know, you it's like it's like the it's like the saying is like, you know, fool me once, okay, that's fine. You know, fool me twice, that's on me. And that's how I understand a lot. And that's how I visualize the game a lot. Is like, okay, you get me once, that's fine. You you know, you got your one shot, that's all right, but yeah, it won't happen again. So don't take them too much to heart. And you know, you should still be proud. I think because I've, I've I obviously go into tournaments with a mentality of like, well, if I'm not winning, like what's the point? Like if it's a 40 man GT. If I'm not getting first, like, what was it a waste of a weekend? If it's a major, if I don't win, is it a waste of a weekend? Sort of thing, for better or for worse. And um, you know, just learning to to live with the fact that actually, you know, what you do is you should still be really proud of how you how you perform. Um, and that's a that's a good mental note to have. And maybe that's going to be my philosophy. <laughs> I should still be proud of where I am, perhaps. Uh, and yeah, like I said, like your relationships with people um, in the game is is a really important thing to to bounce back on. If you're struggling with something. If you're in a dark place, like just try and talk to people, and you'll find that actually maybe what you're going through is not that uncommon. Mm-hmm. Vic, how about yourself? Do you beat, beat yourself up after a game? Uh, I'm, they they say, don't they, that like you learn the most from your mistakes, and I think that's mm-hmm. because of the emotional connection to losing and mistakes. That's that's where you gain the most because even if sometimes when you win a game and you still make some errors, it's very easy to overlook them because you've won the game. Um, so. I think like a lot of things in life, sometimes it helps to be able to zoom out and look at the bigger picture of things, look at the context of of things and use that to grow. So if you have made an error in a game which has cost you the game, that's that's an awful feeling. But when you look out a little bit and see, why did I make that mistake? Was that just a lapse in concentration? Zoom out again. Why did I have the lapse in concentration? Is it because... I have, didn't drink enough water, I didn't have enough breaks, I was playing too slowly, I didn't have enough time on the clock. 
I'm not fit enough to be able to play into the third game on the first day. And if you keep zooming out like that, you see a much bigger picture where you're not beating yourself up for the little mistake at the end of the chain when there are so many things you can improve along the way to to help you improve your game. So I think every opportunity should be used as a learning opportunity. I don't know if that made any sense to anyone. Did that make sense? It made sense Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Even, I would say, you know, way beyond 40K. That, that what you've just said applies to life in general. So, uh, yeah, well said. Um, last question about this, probably, and we will move on to a bonus topic. But <laughs> And you already know probably what the bonus topic is. But um, something that I observe um, about our hobby right now is that um, it's getting a lot of uh, publicity, uh, like within the hobby and outside of the hobby. Within the hobby, especially because we have, you know, podcasts are, I would say, mushrooming right now. Like you have I mean, your own, my podcast, you have Manga Attack, you have tens of podcasts right now. And they do, you know, reviews of books, but they also do like pre event analysis, post event analysis. Uh, mid-event analysis and so on and so on. So, um, do you does does this generate any additional level of stress in you? You said that you listen to this podcast. I I assume you listen to others as well. Does this actually get in the way? It gets in your head, or you don't pay attention to it. Dave, what what do you think? Oh, I'm going to hand this one to Vic actually because he's a lot more. He's a serial podcast listener. <laughs> I love me a podcast, but. Um... It, weirdly, I think us doing our own podcast and, for example, coming on to this podcast, it's such a great feeling. I've invested so much time and energy into learning about the game and just having a platform to voice my opinions is amazing. And mm. I don't care if I do an interview after I lose a game. I'll still share my thoughts about the game and feel like a hero for being able to voice my thoughts. Um, so... For me personally, it puts no more pressure for me to have more publicity on. And in a way, you know, if someone beats me and say they've only come to like their first or second tournament and they actually get a lot of recognition for beating me, good on them. How, what an, like a great achievement for them to do that. Um, So personally, uh, kind of my name being more well known and me being discussed in podcasts more and stuff. Personally, not any more pressure. In fact, it's kind of nice to be part of the community. Mm. That's yeah. here. Uh, like usual, I'll take an adjacent stand to Vic. <laughs> um, uh, I think there's, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives of it. Um, I think, I think ultimately for this, for Warhammer to grow, it's just fundamentally, it's a massive positive aspect of the game. Like the tournament scene nowadays is stacked. You know. Like 40k has grown so much, even in the time that I've seen it being played, it's crazy. People are so much more active online, you know, ways of monetizing 40k to be a profitable thing, whether you're a content creator, whether you're a tournament, you know, UKTC, right? That's one of the best things that has happened in the UK is the profit for profit model for running tournaments in the UK. Because what does that mean? It's more events. And that's fan- that's the best thing that you could ever ask for. So I think like the, the amount of um, the amount of publicity that 40k is getting now is is amazing, and I think also another big positive of that is that Games Workshop is actually under more pressure to make the game better, which I think is you know is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, what I would say on the publicity side of things is that I, I, all I would say is that 
don't just i think yeah here's a here's a story actually um mike herbert um from hellstorm wargaming uh once uh released a balanced data slate um thing uh back in i think this is when custodies were like mega strong mm-hmm. and, and um and i and i kind of i gave him a, a really hard time about it openly on on facebook and um subsequently after that i'd, I'd been in the um I'd been received on the receiving end of some similar criticism. And um, what actually happened is I ended up seeing Mikey at the Goonhammer major. And, you know, I just realized after that, I was just like, I was like, man, you know, what I said was really, I didn't need to say any of that. What I said was just, uh, it was a knee jerk reaction. And I just took an easy way of getting at someone at the time. And, you know, the first thing I did is I saw Mikey, I said, Hey, look, Mikey, you know, I'm David. Cause we'd never met before. I said, Hey, I'm David. You know, it's really love to me. I love, I actually, I really enjoy your work and, and as content creator, and I just wanted to straight up apologize for what I said um, at the time uh, on Facebook, because you know what, at the end of the day, we're human beings and the anonymity and online presence can sometimes allow people to act as if they wouldn't in real life as well. And I, I wouldn't have said anything anywhere near that harsh in real life, because it's, it's not a nice thing to say. Um, and then, so, you know, I tried to take the opportunity to apologize to Mikey and we've been, we've been good friends ever since as well. So I think it's just important for people in the community to sometimes realize and understand that at the end of the day, 40k is only great because of the people that play it. It's a great game, but it really is the community that makes it such a fantastic thing. And I just hope that with all this um, extra publicity and whatnot, that we don't lose that sense of community uh, when we play the game as well. Yeah, I think with podcasts like yours, it's impossible, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> moving on, but I'll, I'll actually, um, I, I picked up one phrase, uh, Dave, that you that you said a couple of minutes ago, uh, that I I will use as a segue to our bonus topic, and that would be, you said, GW uh, is doing everything to make the game better. Uh, is leagues of Votan the actual thing that makes the, the, the game better? <laughs> Wait, yeah. Let me go. Let me get into a good seated position for this. <laughs> you take the round one. Ding ding. <laughs> Attacking position. Um, right. Right. So there is no harm in creating strong codexes. I mean, you could argue that Imperial Knights very strong codex out of the last four that have been created. Deep Chaos Demons also excellent, strong, but We've had a number, especially in ninth edition, of broken codexes. Codexes on release that are significantly stronger than anything else in the game, to the point where until there's a balance update, the competitive meta is completely dominated by them. It ruins the competitive meta and it filters through to casual players who have had an army for a long time and can no longer get games. There is no one that wins from broken on release codexes, except for potentially an increase in sales. And there has been no more blatant attempt at getting an increase in sales than the leagues of OTAN release based on the leaked codex. The mistake they've done is that they've leaked the codex too early and it's given time for the community to slowly understand exactly how bad this codex is well before final release of all of the models. So. If ever there was a time for us as a community to come together and say, look, GW, this is nonsense. We're not going to play this at our tournaments. We're not going to buy the models, whatever, but just kick up a fuss about it. It's in an army which no one owns the models of because they've only just been released. Uh, and we have a big lead up time till all the models are released. 
And I think this is the final straw that breaks the back on GW releasing broken on release codexes. And breathe. <laughs> so it, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless because this actually sounded like, did you read it from somewhere? Was that like a ready statement that you brought to the podcast? No, it's ingrained <laughs> in my brain, ready for it any so moment. so coherent. So like, you know, as if you were reading from a piece of paper. That's amazing. But I agree 100%. And I think, you know, the, the, the Germans, if you follow Reddit, the Germans probably uh, made the internet yesterday with, um, you know, uh, ban well, the information about them banning uh, the army from tournament play totally. Um, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of comments under any posts that mentioned this event. Uh, Dave, do you think that this is the rightful thing to do? Uh, well, funnily enough, I think I messaged Zach the day that the full spoilers, uh, Zach being the UKTCTO, um, mm -hmm. saying you should just ban this uh, the day it got released. Um, and I, I've felt that way ever since it got released. I've said it in our team chat as well um, on upon release. I said they should just ban this. It's just, it's absurd. Um, and I think one thing that Vic really touched on is just so true is that it it doesn't just hit the top-end competitive play. In fact, the top-end competitive play actually gets affected the least out of all this. Because guess what? I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm going to play Votan, right? I mean, you know, I'm not going to kid anyone. I'll be playing Votan if it's that strong uh, when the models finally get out, which is a staggered release, which is I'll, I'll get on to in a second. But um, what it does do is it affects, the, it affects the morale of the community as well. And the morale of the community are the people who are down at your local game store playing, talking about the game, um, and their enthusiasm to then go on to participate in larger tournaments because these people aren't going to go and participate in larger tournaments if they just, oh, oh yeah, Botan's just going to be everywhere. I'm just going to have crap games because bad player experiences is what um, diverts people away from staying in the tournament scene. And the tournament scene Absolutely. is the most important thing to me. Uh, and so actually get, keeping these people into the tournaments and actually, you know, as a TO, trying to get people to transition from casual play to taught their first tournament uh, is really is really important. And by the way, if you haven't gone to your first tournament or first big tournament, you'll go and have a blast. You'll meet so many people. It's the greatest thing you've ever been to. So if you're even worried about it, if you don't know if you're going to hang out with anyone, if I'm there, come say hi to me or fix there, come say hi to him. <laughs> um, tournaments are great and you're going to have fun. But um, I am worried about um, its effect that it will have on the, on the wider community. And I think it's just, you know, it's... <laughs> In so many ways, it's just, it's just the iceberg, right? It's just there. We've, it's a month out, and we're we're on the ship, right? You just steer the ship in a different direction, you know? It's, it's fun. It's, it's not a big deal. Just ban it. Don't play it. What I am worried about, though, is that, um, and we're kind of, Vic and I are um, perpetrators of this, is that we're talking about how broken the Codex is um, with all of its models. Now, what I could foresee happening is the Codex gets released with its current models then it's actually not that strong without some of the key parts of the model release range. So what I could see happening is actually Votan gets released. It's not that strong. It's still good, but it's not broken. Um, and then people go, oh, you know, it's kind of fine. And then the Hickerton Land Fortress comes, you know, with 50% with the points that it should be. Uh, and then actually just ruins everyone's day and everyone's like, oh, it's broken. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, it's broken. So be pro if you're a TO and you're listening to this somehow, be proactive. Don't be afraid to say, actually, for my tournament, I'm not going to allow this because what I fundamentally care the most about is player experience. And that's the most important thing when it comes to tournaments. Yeah. And if you don't, you know, expect money, bring 150 Botan troops and 
deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that will happen, right? Like that might be a good list. Like I don't, Votan might actually still be really strong even without the Hecaton Land Fortress. There might there might be something there. Yeah, it's a worry. Yeah, and and you know, like we said earlier um, on one of our podcasts, is that actually congratulations to GW because they had released such a tight and well done thematic balanced codex uh, run for the last four codexes and so let's just continue that trend gw and um and keep the game great because the game the meta has never been in such a better place like you go outside you look outside it's a beautiful day it's a sunny it's the sun is shining on a blue block block (laughs) blue backdrop (laughs) sky there's green fields there's lush grass and there's you know birds are singing and bees are buzzing that's the that's the meta at the moment the game is so good right now and if you just want to come and bulldoze that with a terrible codex, then, you know, yeah, it's the iceberg, people. Come on, we can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to backfire. You're going to have a bad time. Um, okay, so th- enough of, uh, about Botan. I mean, if, if anyone wants to hear a more in-depth analysis of what exactly is broken about this codex, I, again, encourage you to visit 40k Fireside because the lads here, uh, they pretty much explain it very in, in great detail. So uh, go and have a listen. Um, uh, gentlemen, last question, and I think I'll let you go. Uh, just to get back into the topic of LGT, so that Zach cannot really blame me for not mentioning it. Um, one piece of advice from every single one of you, like to the people going to the event, and among our listeners, there could be people who have been there many times, there could be people who are going for the first time. One important piece of advice that you could uh, give the attendees. What would that be, Dick? Okay, so I, I'm sure it's not just going to be me, but there's this extreme excitement that is growing as LGT gets closer at the idea of going to the largest event in Europe. And there's going to be 700 like-minded 40K players there. It doesn't even matter about the games. You, the environment is going to be so incredible. Just take it all in, win or lose. Just enjoy every single game and every single moment that you have there. And um, keep that as your focus. Have a great time. It's a hobby. Enjoy it for what it is. David? Which is a great piece of advice. My advice would be get a good night's sleep beforehand. Don't be up all night thinking and analyzing about your games. And one way you can do that is turn your phone off, turn your WhatsApp off, don't look at your pairings. And if you do that, you're going to be sleeping a lot better because trust me, sleep is a big advantage in a tournament. <laughs> if you have a good night's sleep, everything's going to go a lot better. So that would be my advice. Just try to get some good sleep beforehand and then pack a couple of, uh, you know, usually bars and maybe a protein shake or something like that in your bag. And then just try and have some time out. Have some text, try and take some time away from all the events and stuff like that. You know, get outside for a bit, have some time by yourself, decompress because after playing at LVO, there is a lot going on in the room, and you need to let you need to spend some alone time, and then just let your body, you know, readjust, and then you'll be back at it on a fresh one for game two or game three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, if you're winning. <laughs> yeah. In other words, start building up your stamina right now. Yeah. Um, okay, gents. Uh, I think you've you've plugged your podcast already. Uh, is there anything else, any other announcement that you would like to make or? And I wrap up the episode. Oh, I can't believe it's ending. That was really fun. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but it's mainly due to you. <laughs> Anything on your end, Dave? 
No, I just want to say thanks for having us again. And uh, I just want to congratulate Vic Vijay for winning the LGT ahead of time. So in uh, oh approximately 10 days. God, still. I've got no chance. Now, no pressure. I? No wow. pressure. Wow. wow. Yeah, but Tomic, thanks for having us on here. This is, uh, this is an awesome podcast and you've been really smashing out the content. So well played to you. And uh, are you? You're coming, to, you're coming to the LGT, aren't you? Yes, we will be doing the media coverage of the LGT. Catch up with you there. Absolutely. Can't wait. Yeah, see you there, guys. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, go see the other ones because the road, the road to LGT is quite informative. Um, and uh, make sure you leave a like, subscribe, click that button to get the latest notifications. And uh, usually I say until next time, this time I'll just say see you at the event. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye-bye.